Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. And today I'm in a sort of quiet room of a hotel. Hopefully there shouldn't be too much random noise with Mr. Ollie Webb. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Not bad. So Ollie, can you uh, sort of surmise who you are, what you do? So I'm Oliver Webb, racing driver by trade, bit of a stunt driver on the side, and then probably that dreaded word, a bit of an influencer sometimes, <laughs> maybe online sometimes. You have one of those instagram feeds that everyone looks at and goes like oh this guy has the, the most annoyingly <laughs> dream life I've, i always see pictures of you in nice hotels in different parts of the world and then also just driving some bonkers bonkers cars yeah i'm i kind of very lucky that because of what i do uh kind of on the racetrack um you'd think that i'd turn people away from handing you their keys but if anything it seems to be more and more that people hand keys over and say oh can you show me what this can do so i'm very lucky i get to uh jump into some crazy cars which are in different places around the world so then i get to see different parts of the world at the same time that's pretty cool so people people just like give me the key they're just like oh go drive my car in the in the UAE side of the world and kind of as you get towards kind of Asia, UAE, around, around that area and the bigger the car collector, the, the more it seems to, to be a bit like that. And I'm not sure if that's a mix of the fact that there's less pressure because maybe it's not their one and only pride yeah, and joy yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or just they maybe they have more trust in um, in an English racing driver. But um, touch wood and I'll touch some wood near me. It's, <laughs> it's never gone wrong to date. So yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's sometimes it's can you drive a coach me? Sometimes it's, oh, I want to see what my car can do, but I don't even want to be in the car. Yeah. So yeah, it's funny either way. 
Yeah, I've I've seen all sorts of things. I mean, off the top of my head, was one that stands out. I think it was you were at track day, and then I see some pictures of you donutting a Vulcan. I'm like, yeah, this looks pretty <laughs> lols. And <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was actually on one of our supercar days with uh, SCD. We did at Anglesey, and the Vulcan came as a static piece originally via Supervatura uh, with Tommy, and he had to leave to a meeting. And I, I text him, at, uh, I think it was like five to five, saying, "Oh, the, the track have said we." can take the Vulcan out. <laughs> do you mind if we do a few little skids with it? He said, you're paying for the rear tyres if you use them. But he didn't know we had Michelin on board anyway. So I said, well, it doesn't matter if we use them anyway. So <laughs> we did some donuts with it. I think he sold the car the next week. So that was lucky. Yeah, I think that's probably my my favourite bit about your social social media is, is all of the in-car POV videos. You do a ton of POV videos, which, which a lot of people, you don't really see that often. And it's normally like fully over the limit trying to catch a, a racing style wheel as it's spinning all, <laughs> all over the place yeah i mean i i always wanted that to be really the niche and it, and it is the videos that that do well but it tends to be and that's the slight frustration from my side is it tends to be people want to see the road car stuff yeah i put up a race car the only thing i've surmised from it is that it's cool to see race cars and obviously you and me we love race cars but for 99 percent of people when you're growing up a poster on your wall is the car that if you work hard enough one day you can afford yeah it's not the race car maybe one day you can train to be a racing driver because most people will grow up just thinking well i don't want to be or i can't be a racing driver so but i do want to buy a diablo when i'm older or a Mm. kuntash or whatever you want to buy so i put up the povs and it tends to be a lot of the time not the quickest lap, not the best lap, but the messiest, craziest car <laughs> where I'm sliding all over the place around the outside of someone when I shouldn't be overtaking them on a track day. <laughs> yeah, it all looks pretty great. It's it's weird that, isn't it? How, yeah, as someone who's into racing now, I, I love all the race car footage and stuff like that, but it's totally, it's only like, it's because I can relate to it and I understand like, like a prototype I've driven prototype on some level like so i get an idea of what that's like but for most people it's just they just don't get it yeah exactly so like you and me can put up a a video or watch each other's video in in an lmp style radical style downforce car and it's really amazing to watch and on some level this is where f1 get it slightly wrong as well compared to indycar for instance when you look at those kind of racing is f1 use the best possible cameras with the biggest stabilization in these fixed spots and then you watch an onboard lap and dare I say, sometimes it's slightly underwhelming because there's no movement in it and you don't understand it's, it. And how can it go around that corner? It's totally smooth, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I found from my own like recording of stuff, if you, if you bolt a camera to a car, it's just the smoothest. And, it, you know, if you're trying to drive very fast, it's the whole thing is meant to be smooth. And it's not like you're going over whoops or something. So the whole camera is just this smooth video. But if you put it on your head, everything shakes to a whole nother level yeah but you you get the feeling and i've had it where you know you put up a video and you could be going 50 miles an hour down a country road with something that's got slightly dodgy suspension and people think you're going 400 because the whole thing's like like, oh my god you're crazy (laughs) exactly that's what i started being obsessed with is i always mount it there the camera to the helmet because you get that sense of vibration especially in a smooth prototype or smooth single seater where you become the suspension where there isn't really any 
sitting in the car and it's going through your body. Uh, I, I just put one up the other day, actually. I was at this stupidly bumpy track in Italy and it was in an LMP3 car. So it wasn't in the LMP1 I'm normally in or the LMP2 I sometimes drive. It was my first time in an LMP3 car. And it looked so bumpy and crazy quick. It looked like it was in the LMP1 mm. car. And kind of that 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 makes it look exciting and dangerous. And <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the smooth cameras in F1 just, just don't work. I mean, IndyCar use those helmet cameras, yeah. visor cameras, which is great. Yeah, that's definitely the way. Right, so can we sort of wind back a little bit and sort of get, how, how did you end up where you are now? Where did you start off? No idea. Um, <laughs> partly no idea. So I started off karting when I was quite late in terms of kind of the, the motorsport world. I started karting also at like about... five. <laughs> <laughs> I started, I think I was 12. Okay. 12 years old or something. Purely by fluke. I think I went to a friend's party and it was a go-karting party in, in Wigan um, yeah. at an outdoor track and I was quite good and I liked it. So then when we went to this, uh, went to France on holiday because my mum's side of the family's French, I started going karting kind of every summer holiday, but just for a bit of fun, like mm. arrive and drive stuff. And then I entered a, a British championship, club British championship and ended up getting my license and, and won it. So I was like, oh, okay, nice. I, maybe I'm okay at this. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. But at that point, pretty much after one year, it was like, no, you've got to do school and karting requires you to be there on a Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And I was at boarding school at that point in Shrewsbury. Yeah. So I was literally having to be picked up by my dad uh, Saturday afternoon because we had Saturday school and church. Yeah. So it's pretty strict school. <laughs> having missed all of testing and qualifying and I used to have to start last for every race. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so that was quite an exciting year. And then I applied for this BMW scholarship at 13, 14 years old to be to be funded to do Formula BMW. And that was the only way really that I was going to be able to carry on racing. So I think it was like 500 quid to enter. So I kind of, I saved up and then I asked mum and dad if I can have birthday and Christmas present in mm. one go and, and I'm allowed to enter into this championship or this shootout. And me and Henry Surtees ended up winning that. So we both became BMW scholarship drivers. And that was really the start of my proper career because at that point I was like, okay, I'm still young, I'm 14 or so, but I'm now being funded to, uh, all costs covered, which is yeah. a huge thing in racing. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand to be able to do it. But we still had to kind of get ourselves there. We started to fund our own travel and accommodation, um, even though the racing was being paid for. So it was still a bit of a stretch. And then I progressed through Formula Renault. Uh, up to Formula 3, leading both those championships at some point, but unfortunately finishing second and third in each one in that order. I then went to World Series by Renault, which is effectively what Formula 2 used to be without making it too complicated. Then moved to America, did Indy Lights, which is the feeder series to IndyCar. Right. And loved it. Was probably seeing my life moving out there. I, was, <laughs> I think I was going to live there. I wanted to do IndyCar. The first four races were street tracks and I was getting podiums and poles. Nice. And I was like, this is going well. Then I got to the Indy 500. Then I got on an oval. And then I realized this isn't quite for me. So the other person in the team or in the adult part of the team of Sam Schmidt Motorsports for the IndyCar side of it was was Dan Weldon. He unfortunately passed away in Vegas. Mm. And Henry Surtees, who I mentioned earlier, had passed away as well. My teammate previously in racing. So I was, I was around the danger of motorsport. And then I think in the following oval, I, I broke my knee on my leg. And then at that point, I kind of just said, I'm not really enjoying the ovals. I'm finishing like fifth, sixth or seventh. Yeah. So I'm putting my life on the line for without a trophy. So I moved back to Europe and got 
it's the best thing I did. I, I went to European Le Mans, got a deal with Renault, and uh, we won the championship. And we got to stand nice. on the podium at Le Mans. And then I've been in LMP2 and LMP1 ever since. And So you won Le Mans the first time you went? We won the championship, won the championship. but we came third at the actual race of Le Mans. So Le Mans the middle race of the whole yeah. championship. It's always That's a hard a one. Good people start. ask, which, which way would you prefer it? Winning Le Mans the race and finishing third in the championship or winning the championship and, and coming third at Le Mans? It's actually a really which tough one. Which do you one. think? No. I still don't know. Honestly, I get asked it so much, but it's, people, I think people remember Le Mans more than the championship. Formula One championships are different. I think people would definitely rather be Formula One champion than Monaco winner. Yeah, there's no individual F1 yeah, race really. that you look at that is yeah. above the, the championship. Yeah, whereas Le Mans... Whereas everyone... Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it's probably, probably the other way around, unfortunately, but um, well, well, we'll try again this year, hopefully. <laughs> So what what is racing an indie car like? What is driving those things like? Obviously, and then there's street circuits and then ovals. I imagine they're quite different. Yeah, so Indy Lights and Indy Car run um, a third, a third, a third, they call it. So you have a third road courses, which is what we in Europe know as normal tracks like Silverstone, um, a third street courses, which is what we know as like Monaco and Baku and tracks like that, and then a third, which is ovals. And those ovals vary in degrees of banking from Vegas and Daytona, which have a huge amount of banking, mm -hmm. to the Indy 500 and Iowa, which have very little banking. And short, short ovals, which is 0.8 miles long, which I think they're going to start doing less and less of, which are just plain crazy because they're like 20 second laps and you're driving for three hours. <laughs> and it's just insane. You're um, just massively on the limit the whole time. Exactly, yeah. And I, I think a few Europeans find it quite strange. And, and Max Chilton, a friend of mine as well, is actually who I raced with coming up the crew as well. He's just given up ovals as well and he's only doing the road courses. Mm. So he still lives out there, but he refuses to do the ovals anymore. And I think that's a wise decision, especially until... Um, the tracks get a little bit safer. But the racing as a whole is amazing. And the atmosphere, uh, it's very Super Bowl-y at every game. And the Indy 500 is, I think, still the li the biggest live sporting event in the world in terms of the attendance on the day. It's some crazy attendance. Like, I can't remember what it, what it is, but it's something like, well, it's either like 250,000 people it's or 500,000 people or just something. Just under half a million, yeah. So Half a million people at yeah. one event. Yeah, in one place, physical people. <laughs> Obviously, the TV is a bit different compared to the Super Bowl, but actually at the event is unbelievable because you've got this huge, huge oval which has a stadium all around it. So it's just unbelievable yeah. the amount of people you can fit in there. Yeah, it's crazy and fast. Yeah, um, unbelievably fast. Because they always talk about average speed laps and then people go, oh my God, that's incredible. But they never really talk about the fact that the, in between each one of those corners, they're getting closer to like 260 miles an hour. So yes. 260 miles an hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you look at the onboards again, they're like, because the other car next to it's doing 259 miles an hour, it looks like they're both just right yeah, they're there. Yeah, just creeping the limit, along. Just creeping. When actually, when something goes wrong, it goes wrong big. And presumably at 260 miles an hour or 200, just 200 plus, the adjustments and stuff you have to make have to be exactly right and very, very quick. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and you tend to do that down the straight. And you do have a bit of time. And, um, and we talk about these kind of max speeds of 250, 260 mile an hour. Obviously, the average laps are much more like 230 in terms of the pole lap they talk about, yeah. which is a great lap. But you're, you're flat out on the throttle. So the speed you lose is, is purely down to... Uh, in qualifying anyway, it's purely down to the wind or your weight jacker, which you use to shift the weight between the suspension front left to rear right. Uh, it, it's a very strange feeling because when I used to watch over racing, Indy or NASCAR, and I say when I used to watch it, I didn't really even watch it. I thought this 
A looks stupid and B looks easy. Like mm. it's just down to the car, surely. And then I started doing it and realized, okay, of course, if you don't have a good car, it's not going to be possible. But once you've got a good car and you're up there with kind of the top 10, the amount you've got to do in the car is unbelievable. The weirdest thing I found was you drive in fifth gear, not in sixth. You only use sixth when you get into a tow. Okay. This was back when I was doing the Indy Lights in, 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 um, got 2011 you use sixth and a toe then you pull out on full throttle and go down a gear while you're full on the throttle because the wind <laughs> slows you down that much wow. so they put fifth and sixth gear so close together in in a rev drop that the wind slows you down enough to need fifth gear <laughs> so it's the weirdest thing you're like i'm gonna blow this engine up now because i'm gonna go down a gear on full throttle at 200 mile an hour <laughs> just hope to god <laughs> Can you talk talk me through, because I I guess most people, and I have no idea, what might be some of the things, like driving a lap, like an indie type lap in a car, what's all the things that you have to do versus a normal road car type thing? So like in terms of if we were doing an oval specific lap or if you're just a normal, like if I'm in my prototype, for instance. Let's say an oval... Okay, so if you're in an oval... We'll get to We'll get to Yeah, so if you're doing an oval lap, then you'd obviously do a lot less than you would do in a, in, in a prototype lap because you obviously you've got the corners coming up on you all four kind of quite yeah. quickly. But the main things you're doing are your fuel figures. So you've got to speak, you've got to see between your dash and your team what fuel you're on because throughout that race, you want to be on track when it goes checkered flag because you can be leading until two laps before the end. And if you have to come in the pits because you've not saved that tiny little bit every yeah single corner for three hours then uh, you're going to lose the race so then you have a weight jacker which is what shifts the weight from the front left to the rear right so that changes um, the pitch of the car across a diagonal angle effectively okay which gives it more front end or less front end okay so more yeah. And you can change that. If you've got wind coming in really strong one way, um, then you can effectively lift the nose up into one corner. And then when you come back around to the other one, when you've then got the wind or not got the wind, you can lower it back down to give you a bit more front down force. Um, and that's also the same if you're following a car, because then you lose all of your grip. So then that's you need, quite neat. Yeah. So is it just like a little, what is, it, what is this? Is this a lever, so a it's twizzle like dial or what? So it's like an it's quite old school. It used, to, until two years ago, it was literally like a, the old school F1 torsion bars so it's like an actual lever you've got to pull now it's now it's a button on the wheel that you can press and that's the same for the front and rear anti-roll bar is now on a button yeah Um, and you change that a lot as well to stiffen stiffen up or loosen up the car while you're driving it that is interesting like do other cars have that not prototypes and stuff have that no pretty much own only indycar ovals now use that even even in Formula One, I don't think, and someone can correct me if they're listening to this. I don't. I bet think, it's against the rules. I don't think you can change the the anti roll bar settings anymore in the F one car either. Because that would be pretty useful in the wet. It, it, when it used to rain in the middle of Formula One races, that's it. You just you just kind of disconnect yeah. it if you want. You just fully fully loosen it until it's almost disconnected. I don't think you can do that anymore. Nuts, nuts. And then all all of this is happening whilst you're going two hundred. 30 yeah. mile an hour plus yeah side by side or three wide or three, four three wide up, four up uh, the year actually the year bef- the year after I did Indy was the close was the closest ever finish and still is and it was four four wide across the finish line at the end wow and the guy in fourth who'd been in fourth the whole race won which was great <laughs> it was amazing to watch Do you, does Indy because I know uh, you correct me because I'm, I'm not 100% sure let's like, like, say the Daytona 24 hours they have you get an award for being first at like eighteen hours or something. Is that right? That's so. The, that's during the Daytona Five Hundred, I think, isn't it? 
I th- I'm thinking about endurance racing. Oh, an endurance racing. No, I don't think you get... You get points allocated at 12 hours, 18 hours, and 24 okay. hours. Okay, oh, so it'll be I points. I don't think you get a trophy. Maybe you used to. Okay, yeah. uh, But you get points, yes, at 12. And you do at Le Mans as well. You get points at 12 hours. Okay. And to be honest, that's what should have happened at the uh, Dubai 24-hour race that I just did literally last month because it got rained off. Yeah, you heard that I right. saw. I saw pictures of this. It was insane. I mean, it was like to the top of the window at turn two. Like as in like 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 Messiah style <laughs> Netflix show, God is upon us. And did the, were the cars? I saw pictures of the cars sitting on a grid, and so the cars just lined up on the grid, and then it started raining. So here, here was the difficulty: is when it's a red flag procedure, you you can't come in the pit lane. You have to stop the cars on the grid, ready for when it restarts. Okay, so you went out, and then it started raining, or yes. it was already so we, raining. So we raced for seven hours. Okay, then it started then it raining, and then it went red. So you had to stop on the grid, which is not, it normally goes red because of an accident or yeah. something else. And normally then the safety car would then an hour, two hours, three hours later, come onto the grid and restart the race from that point. Um, because this was unprecedented and because it was like flooding, the physical trap was flooding and we were in a, in a ditch on the straight because the kind of rain comes down to where the pit straight is. It was collecting in a bowl. No one at that point had kind of the, 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 the guts to tell the organisers that, oh, we're going to take our car off the grid because you'd get disqualified. So yeah. everyone kind of just left them and all the cars were just getting wrecked and flooded. The electrics were being ruined. Yeah, the cars were like full. in like a foot of water or more. Yeah, like. and that was in the safe parts, in inverted commas, of the track as well. So it was really bad around the other parts. That is cr- it's crazy how much... I mean, it's not that surprising. Obviously, they don't get any rain and dry, super dry ground just doesn't absorb any water whatsoever. But the fact that it can get that deep. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, even with all the explanations like, oh, it's because the all the drainage that we do have gets full of sand, which I understand all the time when it's got sandstorms that it doesn't get cleared out. Even if they had no drains full stop, I just it was because it was so heavy yeah. and we were asleep. In, and the Dubai 24 hours is not as glamorous as people think. I mean, the crates that the cars get shipped in, they get put in the paddock are where the drivers sleep in between their nice. stints. So we nice. literally sleep in a crate. So I'm, I'm sleeping in there. Armageddon's happening outside. It's like literally hailing in Dubai. And I've done this race for... 10 years and I've been going to Dubai for maybe 17 years. Yeah. Never ever other than the odd spot of rain because they're doing fracking now and this cloud seeding stuff. Have I seen it do this? And it was <laughs> insane rain for like four hours straight and I was like, there's no way this race is restarting. And the worst bit is, is we were in second and we came into fuel and it went red. We came back onto the track in fourth because obviously the other yeah. guys hadn't pitted for fuel yet. They were going to pit the next lap. So I'm like, oh, it's okay. We'll, 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 as soon as it goes green, even if it's 10 minutes to go, yeah. they've got to come in the, for fuel. We'll be fine. We'll get second place. No problem. <laughs> and then they called it. And I was like, oh, that's a shame. We don't get to finish the race. Well, well it's only been seven hours. At least they won't uh, print the results out. And yeah. then I wake up in my hotel room and they've done a podium. Oh, what? And they've had a full on podium <laughs> and everything. And Black Falcon went from third to first. And they didn't even know that they'd won the race. And nice. it was the weirdest situation ever because they don't normally in 24 hour racing, you've got to finish. 12 hours minimum. Yeah, seven you can't hours. do some of it. Yeah, you can't do a seven-hour race and be like, yeah, he can win. So that was a bit annoying. I wonder if the Black Falcon boys called up some mates and yeah, got exactly. some cloud seeding on the go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dubai 24, it looks like quite a good one. I've This is uh, like literally the other end of the spectrum. The C1 24 hours uh, at Spa last year crashed quite spectacularly out at like six in the morning to finish it off. And have sort of a little bit gone like, well... I'm not sure whether I'm... I kind of want to do it again, but the last two times, the two times I've been to Spa, it's just rained the entire time. But they do the Silverstone one as well, right? And the Silverstone one, is that was in, that was wicked. Is it in and, May? And that rained. 
an unbelievable it. amount of time. Because I want to do this one in May. So yeah. maybe we should do it together. Do it. Because we've already got four people and you can have like loads, right? You can have like 10 of you, can't you? You can have loads. It, actually, I, I can't do it because I'm, it's my girlfriend's birthday. Oh, is it? So I can't she do can it. She can race as well. But my teammate, Jerome, is do, wants to do it. Yeah. So I'll, I'll put in touch yeah, yeah, and you yeah. should do it. Because I think we're, we're going to do it. Me and a few friends just randomly came out. A couple of them are, are Rams in British GT and a couple of them are... And, I, and I've always seen them on the track days and the sea ones look so fun. I mean, they're, they're hilarious. so slow in a straight line. But then I'm there and I'm in the passenger seat normally and I'm coaching on a track day. And um, this guy's about to lunge him into the corner. I'm like, no, no, don't, because he's not going to break. He's going to go quicker than us in this Porsche through that corner. You just watch. <laughs> it's unbelievable when they go through cops. You just see they're like 80 mile an hour into cops and 80 through it as well. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, 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 there's not a lot of braking, but that's just surprising amount of braking. But you can definitely carry quite a lot of speed. speed. Yeah, and the sidewaysness. And just they're just amazing. very sideways Love on it. these tiny little tires, rocking over, sort of almost up on two wheels the entire time. It looks so fun. I've done. I've I've done the Beetle Funk Up 25 hour. Yeah, how was that? Um, that was okay. That was back in 2007 when it was like, you know, H pattern gearbox okay, yeah. and doubled the clutching and, and all that, which, were, and it made it really, really fun. And that was 100, uh, oh God, it was like 175 cars yeah, or something. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, but the C1 seems to have really taken over in terms of popularity now. I think the, the Fun Cup is, it's quite a bit more serious. Now it seems that way. Yeah. Um, now it's paddle shifting. Even everything. just from like a monetary point of view as well. Mm. Like C1, people take it really seriously, but you're still in a little C1. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's wicked. Right. Let's talk about Le Mans and racing at Le Mans. So you, are you racing this year? That's the plan. Yeah. I mean, the, the team's got an entry. At the moment, it's a little bit up in the air because the team's developing their hypercar because the rules changed in this championship quite okay. dramatically. So they're having to develop this hypercar at the same time as obviously throwing all the funding into it to try and do Le Mans at yeah. the same time. Uh, do you know what? Are they developing their own? They are, yeah. So hypercar. it's... Um, Can you, is this public information? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Publicish. I mean, they kind of, they, they have a, a page on their website that says, you know, that they're developing they're the developing. hypercar. They've not mentioned any of their partners, so, so that part we can't talk about. But in a, similar, in, a, in a slightly similar way to what Rebellion do at the moment is hopefully what they'll end up doing. But by colours as a team have always been very keen in developing all their own stuff, which, mm -hmm. which is a great sense of pride for obviously everyone in the team, which is amazing. The downside of that is obviously sometimes if someone's been doing something for forever and they do it the best, they're the best for the reason. Yeah, so yeah. Rebellion have a... Have a good way of doing it they kind of just buy an orica chassis an lmp2 chassis yeah. and then find the best engine and then kind of almost hire someone else to, to develop it for them and their car is unbelievable when you compare it to toyota who spend maybe 300 to 350 million uh, <laughs> euros a year and rebellion although this is now a guesstimate are probably more like 20 yeah. maybe 30 but definitely less than 50 million a year so way under what they're spending yeah. and the car in qualifying sometimes beating the Toyota, it's pretty unbelievable what they've, um, what what Rebellion have done, and that's in the same space that we're in. Unfortunately, in the we're good in qualifying, but in the race, the car's just not got that reliability. Yeah. So they're taking this decision of whether maybe to miss Spa and Le Mans to develop the hypercar properly for next season. Yeah. So I'm of two minds, Mel. I really want to do Le Mans this year, but I also want the hypercar to be good for the next year. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky. How is it racing? So you you've been racing the last couple of years in Privateer LMP1. Yeah. Yeah, so I did a couple of years in LMP2 and then I think I've done four now in LMP1. Nice. So yeah, six, six Le Mans. 
What is it like driving an LMP1 car at the moment? Actually, how do LMP1 cars compare to LMP2 cars at the moment? So that, that got really interesting. So the LMP2 era when I won, the gap was very consistent. So from GT, there was about five seconds to LMP2 and then from, uh, or maybe more like eight, and then from LMP2 to LMP1, there was another like 10 seconds or something yeah. to the Porsches, Audis and the Toyotas. Then Orica found a loophole in the LMP2 rules when they developed the new LMP2 chassis. Mm. And then all of a sudden, and this is the year that Audi and Porsche left uh, WC, yeah. all of a sudden the LMP2s were 10 seconds, I correct myself, 11.8 seconds quicker at Le Mans than one year previous. So wow. the, the, yeah, the ACO and the, the uh, World Endurance Championship were like, oh yeah, someone's found a really good loophole in this LMP2 car. Cause that, Was that the Jackie Chan racing year? Uh, are they in it? In they are in it, yeah. I, I mean, they would have been in it that year, yes. Yeah. So it was. Um, it first came out when KCMG first got the Orica, and this car was just insanely quick. It was qu- so quick, in fact, that the one year after Audi left the World Endurance Championship, their pole time or their qualifying time from that year was beaten by an LMP2 car one year wow. later. That's how quick they are. So these silver or bronze-graded drivers, or I say quotation marks for AMS, because these guys, okay, yes, they're businessmen and yes, they're racing in Le Mans, but they're very good drivers. They're not so, AMS, yeah. Yeah, they're not exactly AMS. Um, but if it's your first Le Mans and you're a businessman slash AM driver and you're on slicks in the middle of the night and it's raining and you're in a car quicker, quicker than Alec McNish's Audi, yeah. you've really got some serious stuff underneath you. But in answer to your question, that, that there was a really nice gap between LMP1 Privateer and LMP2. Now it's like only three seconds or something. And even that's hard to... You imagine that three seconds if we suddenly pit on a triple stint on old yeah. tyres and fill our tank of fuel and someone comes out on new tyres with no fuel. We're about the same yeah. speed. So it makes it much harder now than it used to be. There used to be a really big gap. Now LMP2 cars are so quick. If you ever get to drive an LMP2 car one day, a new chassis star one, you're yeah. basically driving an LMP1 car. Wow. That's crazy. And presumably an LMP2 car is quite a bit cheaper than an LMP1 car. Yes. I mean, to run it's to run is still expensive, um, but to buy, much cheaper. Because the LMP1 car you have to develop, so okay. it's going to cost you tens of millions. Whereas yeah. the LMP2 car off the shelf may be a lot cheaper to buy, but still to run an LMP2 car at the cheapest, cheapest level, I'm sure it's got, I think it's three to four million a year yeah. still to run for a world endurance team. ELMS maybe a little bit less. And then you have like Michelin Le Mans Cup for the LMP3 yeah. cars and stuff, which is then less again. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to someone, I was at one of the Peter Auto events and you sit down and just chat to someone at lunch as you do at these things. And this guy, <laughs> you meet the most nuts people. This The guy I was sitting opposite, I think was racing in like five categories at the Peter Auto events with like a bunch of different cars and whatever. But he used to race LMP2 and then said he stopped because and he must have been like, late fifties easily. And he said it got too fast for him. And and I, yeah, (laughs) like I totally, like you're just like a random dude. Okay. You are exceptionally wealthy and great businessman, but like you do not look like an athlete in any way, shape or form. (laughs) And I'm sure you're pretty handy at driving, but you're definitely not a pro driver. Yeah. And they got really quick, really fast. And yeah, I think it put a lot of people off. And LMP2 is an, um, yeah, it's a category. pro. It's a pro am category. I mean, not in the same sense as that. Let's say, kind of a 
the GT and LMP3 Pro Am is because you have to have what's called a bronze in that right. category, whereas LMP2, it's a silver. And it gets a little bit vague because now it's a bit better than than it used to be because, you, I mean, your silver could be... I mean, when our, when we won the championship, our silver was Paul-Louis Chatin, who, who, who now has won ELMS's gold. Mm. So it's like you can have secret silvers in inverted commas. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of, like, in that system of people oh, yeah. that are just like, just bump under because you obviously always kind of want to be downgraded. Yeah, exactly. And you could, that's how you win a championship. Now it's so close, the way to win a championship is purely through that. So, for instance, if, if I don't race for five what years... I'm gold. So if I don't race for five years, I'm not allowed to compete in one race at all after winning European Le Mans, then I can downgrade to a silver. Right. Of course, you don't want to not race for five years, yeah. especially in your peak years. And then the issue is, is two years later, I won Asian Le Mans. So now I've yeah. got to wait another five years from then. <laughs> and everyone always says, oh, if you're a silver, we've got this AM driver who's yeah. going to give you a really good budget and he'll pay you to race, which is always what you want to hear as a driver. Like getting your cost covered is one thing, but being paid to race is amazing. Yeah. So getting these emails all the time is really frustrating, especially when you have to reply. First of all, being like... I'm too good. <laughs> exactly. You have to be like, uh, you should know I'm a gold. And second of all, it's like you really want to say you're a silver. But that's how people win. The other frustrating thing is when you hit 40... You, you, get, know, you, go, you, you get, get bumped down. Yeah. So Alan Manish is a silver... Dario Franchitti is a silver. I mean, how is this all possible? Like, yeah. That's what's also crazy. Like, Barrichello became a silver and went straight into GTM racing. I'm like, well, of course he did. Like, it yeah. makes complete sense. But it's a bit frustrating that the grading system is... Because with endurance racing, it's pretty much proved that experience, and obviously being quick, but experience and all of that outperforms just being quick. Yeah, exactly. Because you're what people don't really see with endurance and uh, and i appreciate that it's hard to see is that you could be the quickest guy in qualifying or you can be the quickest guy on new tires in a certain situation but if the guy who's slower in the team who's always even if he's half a second slower at lamar even if he's half a second slower all the time but after 24 hours every single one of his stints adds up to whatever x amount yeah. of time two hours and 37 minutes of lap times but the other guy who's super quick is bad in traffic or has lacks of concentration or is bad on fuel consumption so he's quicker every single lap than the other guy but he has to do one extra full pit stop which takes yeah four minutes you've got to be he's got to be four minutes quicker than the other guy which means like you know 10 seconds lap every yeah. single lap which is just isn't possible so it is all about endurance teams look at this and i've been to meetings before to get to go for a drive and they've had printouts of every lap i've done the whole year and added them all up and they've said why should we hire you if okay because you've gone in with oh i'm gonna say i'm quicker in this race this race this race pole fastest lap exactly and then they're like okay but your total stint time adds up to three seconds more than this guy's you're like Oh yeah, but you don't know why he's yeah. done that or how he's done that. So it is. It is all about when you cross cross the finish line. It's all they care about. They don't care how you did it. Yeah, that's and it's that's going to be quite a difficult thing as a driver to sort of work out and deal with and stuff because you want to go as fast as possible the entire time, but you also need to make incredibly good decisions the entire time yeah and that's where the concentration level comes in Le Mans isn't a physical track the heat adds to the physical element and obviously the car's hard to drive but as a track in itself it's not that physical to drive over one lap 
it's it's the concentration factor that's really really hard and that's where it drains you mentally because like you said it's that total stint time that adds up so every curb you hit is that going to damage the suspension every yeah. single car you overtake with the rubber crumb when you overtake him and you go wide and you hit that rubber crumb that's going to slow you down for three or four more corners because you've got two tenths less of a second mm. of traction for the next three corners and you're adding that up the whole time while you're overtaking people and when i go into this corner i know i can overtake him and outbreak him but then i'll be slow on the exit so i'll wait and i'll overtake him on the exit because i know i'll gain down the straight and i'll get a toe so it's and you're doing that calculation of math in your head for 24 hours straight so it's not always about the quickest lap time but you've got to be a mechanic and an engineer while you're driving and be sympathetic to the car in the quickest possible way yeah absolutely like it's i couldn't believe even on the, the the small level that i've done it how tired like completely wired the entire time i was driving yeah but then get out of the car and just dead it's like Complete and people look at you like, no, no, I like, I need to go to sleep for a long time now. Yeah, yeah. and th- and that 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 for me is my heart. That's my big enemy that I want to be able to fix because a lot of drivers can get out the car and they can sit in the garage, even in the noisiest environment, and just sit in their chair and they can just pass out and fall yeah. asleep. I really struggle to sleep in twenty four hour mm. races, which makes it really hard. And I say really struggle to sleep like I don't, and I haven't for six years. I've, yeah. I've not napped in between pretty much any Lamar I've ever done. I stay awake. If you were driving, how many drivers on the team and how many stints and how does that so work? So there's three drivers. Yeah. Okay, um, so that's quite a lot of driving. Yeah, three drivers, and f- with fuel consumption, etc., the, the best thing to do um, is to leave each driver in as long as they can. So you kind of do like four hour stints at a time. Yeah. And the better you are with fuel consumption, the more driving you end up doing. So I end up doing a lot of the driving. You can't do more than, I think, 12 and a half hours maximum, maximum. over the and race. What can you do? Is there a stint limit? And stint limit's four and a half, five. So you try, is, you try, that is long. Yeah, you try, you try and go to the end of that, though. You try and use it. <laughs> In a very fast car, overtaking other cars exactly, all the time. Yeah, And the thing is, the 24 hours of Le Mans is more like the 40 hours of Le Mans because uh, whoever invented the warm-up of Le Mans 24 hours is someone I want to find and hurt because <laughs> you do this week-long testing. You have a month before, two days of testing. Then you get to the race, testing, testing, night testing, qualifying, and then you get to race day. The car's perfect. And then at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m., we have a warm-up. And it's like, well, no, we've done all of this. Right? Yeah. I don't want to have a warm-up. And also, it means you're getting up at 6 a.m. from your hotel to get in to beat the crowds. Yeah. The race is until 3 p.m. Uh, Surely you must fly in by helicopter. Oh, yeah, one. that'd be nice. I wish. <laughs> yeah. Team Boss needs to get one first. You normally see us on scooters. Scooter is the way. Scooter is the way. And motorhome at the track, that's the way. That's yeah. where America have got it right as well. And then I guess you want to get straight out of the car, eat some food, and then go straight to sleep. But yeah. you don't even have that long before no. you got to get up again. And unfortunately, not even that uh, luxury ends up happening. You get out of the car, you have like a half an hour debrief with the engineer. Then you go and see the masseuse. Sounds nicer than it is because it's very painful. <laughs> then you go and uh, you have your food from the team chef. And then from there, you go back, kind of see the team, see the engineer. And then you get your one hour. So you mm. kind of get four hours before you're back in the car, five hours before you're back in the car. But only one hour of that is to yourself after you've had your meetings and debriefs and yeah. everything. Are they quite physical? to drive yeah yeah i mean lamar like i said the track has a lot of straights but yeah they are physical to drive especially at tracks like like a hungara ring or something yeah. like that which is really tight yeah or i guess your spa is probably quite yes yeah, uh, spa in the middle sector can be especially because it's quite hot at spa sometimes um so that can be quite physical it's the temperature in the car we don't have any air Do you have no like cooling or anything no absolutely nothing do you have cooling suits no not allowed them not allowed no not allowed them it's against the rules 
because when you're in a pro category, they ban them so that you, I don't know, so make it tougher, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. That's what I mean, it's very stupid. It, yeah. You used to be allowed um, AC units mm. and Porsche and Audi had one. And I think Toyota didn't, or one of the teams didn't because it added 40 kilograms. Um, so then they all stopped doing it. But cool suits aren't allowed. And also, I think it's because the spe- they, there's only space in some LMP1 cars for them and not others. So they just ban them in every, oh. for everyone because it needs like a box in the passenger yeah, yeah. seat. So I've actually never in my life used a cool suit. And I've never to this date driven a race car with AC. I'm still waiting. I to bet be it's the best one. thing ever. One day it's going to feel amazing. I'm going to be like, why is it so nice in here? Yeah. And because then, the NASCAR guys have it strapped into the head as well. Yeah. So the whole hem oh, helmet's wow. cold and everything. That's got a knock off. Cause I, you know, you get, let's go back, back to road cars. The people that delete the AC. Yeah. Like, find me a, a human that realistically that is faster over like 15 laps in a hot car than they are in a nice exactly. cool car. Exactly. And that's why all the LMP2s, vice versa, the other way around, I think they now have to have them because they know that LMP2 category is funded by M drivers. They need them happy and they're happy and they're quicker, like you said, over a long distance if they have AC. So what if they're if it saves 40 kilograms and three tenths a lap here or there? Because yeah. that guy's going to be way, he's going to be a second lap quicker at the end of his stint. And he's a lot less likely to end up in a wall. Exactly. <laughs> so the car's going to survive. <laughs> nuts right let's i i had a little flick through your instagram before coming in i just wanted to see what you've driven recently that i can pick your brains about and and chances are uh, funnily enough it's quite a lot of interesting material here oh, really one actually uh, briefly let's get into it you've done have you been doing some rally cross or something yes i have yeah very very random that, that came about just through a random email in the middle of the night and they were like oh I think Scott Speed or someone had broken his back and he can't do the next race. Can you come next week and do rallycross? So, you- of course, I lied with my vast rallying experience <laughs> and said, I will be there, completely lied, and got there thinking, it's fine. They told me there's a test day and arrived, and I didn't realise rallycross testing is three laps. Three, three laps? Once past the pit wall, so one lap, one full lap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was, I had three laps before my first race in rallycross to How test was the that? car insane one of the most fun things i've ever done and i hope i can do the championship again this yeah. year it is unbelievable not to 60 and 2.8 on gravel on gravel that is pretty impressive um and the thing it's like i think it's like 550 horsepower twin turboed half a ton i mean they're, they're supercars so they're, they're they cut in in world rallycross they call them supercars so it's a supercar rally car just the top end rally car you can get <clears throat> Unbelievable. The, the, the action's non-stop. The races are like four or five laps. People in it are amazing. So Timmy Hansen, who won the World Rallycross Championship this mm. year, and Kevin, who won uh, the Titans FA Championship this year, they're both in it. All the Red Bull drivers. It's amazing rally drivers from Loeb, etc., yeah. who have been in it. So you're, I got there, and not only was I in a proper car on a proper track, I was against proper people. But the atmosphere was amazing. They were so supportive for new people coming in and learning I'd never even driven, I'd never even raced a front wheel drive car at that point, let alone four wheel drive. So every inch of my body, because I haven't, I never did BTCC and I never did Clio Cup and I never did a lot of these front wheel drive cars to learn in that. Every inch of my body is used to when you're about to crash or when you're drifting to opposite lock and lift off. Yeah, yeah. And it was the complete opposite. You need every one of those 550 horsepower. And as you're about to spin off and hit the wall, you floor it and turn more into the wall you're about to hit, which is the strangest thing in the world. Um, And even though once you know that, I mean, we only have to be told once, right? And you're like, okay, I'll do that next time. Your body still reacts first, Mm. like when you're about to fall. You, You still try and save yourself. You don't just like fall. 
So it was really, really super strange. And, and that's what took me a while to get used to. But, um, and interestingly enough, the, the, the round that I did best on was, was when it was the most tarmac, it was wet and it, re, it required a really like sensitive hand and yeah. that's rally cross style. <laughs> and all of a sudden I was, and that was the second race I ever did. And I was in second and I was bumping the bumper of, of Kevin Hansen and thinking, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like I'm actually awesome. in rally cross, like doing all right. <laughs> and I came back in from that race and, and, and had won the heat before. And I think I came second in that one. And he's like, dude, why, why didn't you just hit me? I was like, what? I was like, well, you were just tapping me. Like, you know, stop being a pussy. Like, hit me. I was like, this is rallycross. You're allowed to hit more than that. I didn't realize you could yeah. literally, you push people out the way. You just push people out of the way. Just literally, you just don't break. Just straight into the side door. <laughs> I mean, you can't skip the track, of course. The very next race, I ended up literally, you only have to tell me once. I got a penalty because I literally skipped the track and just went straight into the yeah, side yeah. door of someone. They're like, yeah, that's a bit too far. <laughs> Having so having now raced on a loose surface, more liberal racing, does it? Does have you got the bug for that now? Yeah, completely. I mean, I still don't think I would ever be. I would want to try it, but not competitively, as in world rally. I don't think I'd ever want to do rally stages. I'd yeah. love to try one, but the risk factor there versus the amount of experience they have, that those guys are really in a different league. From them coming to circuit racing, they would do so much better than us as circuit drivers going yeah. to them. So I definitely want to carry on doing rallycross because I love it. The car skill involved and, and the people involved is amazing. And, and you get like six races a day uh, times two weekends, uh, t- two days, sorry, Saturday and Sunday. So you get loads of oh, goes at it. Yeah. And they're all short, quick fire races. They're super exciting. All standing starts. I hadn't done a standing start since I was like 14 in like BMW either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was crazy to go in a standing start, holding on the handbrake, ALS on the turbo on full, full throttle, riding the clutch, uh, fully squatted down. I'm like, this is, it was, um, yeah, unbelievable. Craziest thing. Are they, are they paddles or are they sequential gear stick? Sequential gear stick. So you've got a handbrake, sequential gear stick. Then you've got an electronic handbrake to hold down in the start clutch down on the biting point then you've got a rev limiter and als so you, all of those things on the start you like you can lead like octopus hands the start's the hardest bit because that's where you win or lose it because yeah. because everyone's so good at them you know if you're 2.7 or 2.9 you've won or lost the race because yeah. it's only four laps you'd have to do so much to get past and they're them. off yeah yeah it looks it looks like the most fun the most fun you so can addictive. have on in in a car full stop on the, in a similar vein have you driven the, and I feel like you have, the new Toyota GR Yaris? Yes, yeah. The road car? Yeah. The one that's just come out and got a bit of hype? Yes, yeah. I drove that end of last year at an event in Estoril. Uh, loved it. I mean, super, super cool. And a good lead on from what we're talking about with the Rallycross because hmm. I drove both the kind of rally mule version, but also the complete, as it's going to be launched, road car version. And you can shift the power from the front to the rear. Oh, no, has it got like a dial? Yeah, it's literally got a dial on the road car. So you can literally be like, you know. Kind and what does it go between? So it goes from like 30, 70, I think it has like 60, 40, 30, 70, 50, 50 uh, and off. But you can have... Off is like the standard, sorry. But you can have... And that's all rear-biased or front-biased? Yes. Yeah. You could. I mean, the, the engineers were there. I was like, well, can I go 100% to the front or 100% to the rear? And they're like, well, yeah, you can do it at a click of a button, but they haven't put they haven't that put as, it on. Yeah, because they feel like it'd be a bit too much, which I yeah. get. I understand. You don't want to be like in a Tesco car park with, <laughs> with some guy launching it Yeah, in a, in a completely production car, you can just buy walk into a dealership and buy. Yeah, exactly. But 
Ah, oh, they should do that though. I, I'm still waiting for all of these new cars that have four-wheel drive systems that basically you can do that to allow like an RS3 to be able to yeah. go full rear-wheel drive. Yeah, which just, which, which, I mean, it's there. The functionality is just there. I just, I don't, I think a lot of them don't risk doing it at the moment, but. That, and, and I wonder, presumably for some of them, they don't want to send the full power one way or full power the other way just from like a drivetrain point of view yeah i mean they'd definitely be strong enough but maybe there's like a warranty issue there in the background that it just wouldn't last that long. wow nice yeah what you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on bomba socks underwear and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds yeah that plush and the best part for every item you purchase bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And you get in the, the BMW, like the M5, and to send, to put it in rear-wheel drive mode, you have to turn everything off. Otherwise, it won't even let you. It won't let you do rear-wheel rear wheel drive only unless you turn all of the systems oh, off. Oh, probably so that if the TC is not cutting in and out, and then it's that's really going to hurt the rear shaft, isn't it? But if it's like clunking back and forwards. But you'd think like that's that's like a real. This is you're on your own, lads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fully. <laughs> I mean, it, it just assumes you want to drift. Yeah. It just assumes you're either on the snow or you're pulling out like an idiot of somewhere. You're in your own little yeah. car park area, and you you want to no safety, no exactly. net, no nothing, nothing, no side slip control for or whatever the. The latest yeah, you're stuff. You're by yourself. You're in a hedge <laughs> if you're not careful. What else have you seen? I've seen uh, Ferrari SB2. Oh, yeah. That was random. That was, I think that was the day before Christmas. And a friend of mine, um, I was messaging um, to meet up for a drink. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, meet me here. And we parked up and he pulled up in an SP2. <laughs> As you do, freezing cold with a scarf on and he had his goggles on and everything. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. I was like, well, I'll, I'll back up and you park in front of me. He's like, no, 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 we're not going for a drink here. He's like, you're driving. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and yeah, I caught I caught a cold that day for like three days because I literally was like in a T-shirt or like a really short freezing. jacket. Freezing, not the weather or probably the country for it. Very cool car. Very cool to be able to drive. What's it like to drive? What's it weigh? Any idea? I don't know what it weighs, but it does, does feel, feel heavy-ish. Does it feel heavy-ish? It, I say it feels heavy-ish, but it feels lighter than like like an F12 would do. Presumably, Weirdly. I mean, it's got no roof. But well, yeah, it's got no roof, but it feels it feels a bit 812, probably what an 812 GTO might be like. Yeah. 812 was the first thing I thought of when I started driving it. Yeah. Long, similar weight, similar kind of like power, the way it was feeling and driving, not quite as aggressive as a TDF, smoother, definitely felt special. But it was only on the road, so I, I want to yeah. get I want to get drifting one on on a track. To be honest, I want I want it sideways <laughs> to be able to feel what it can do. And the thing about the, the reason why I like drift so many of these supercars whenever I can is because first of all, you don't know where the limit is until you've broken it. 
well, second of all, drifting is just fun, isn't it? But you you can feel where the grip of this car is quite easily. And, and if it's very, usually if a car is very easy to drift, then it's normally going to be generally quite easy to drive when it's not drifting as well because yeah. you can direct the car where you want with, with the throttle as well as the steering. Cars that just super understeer everywhere tend not to be able to drift that well anyway. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it seems to be a good marker of it's just overall hand, handling. If you yeah. can go over the limit and come back again without ending up in a wall, like that's, that's better. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, of all of those cars, have you driven or come across any of the other cars, recent ones with no roof? I guess what else have we got? Um, this is McLaren. Yeah, so I'm not allowed to say if I've driven that or not. Okay, so you've driven it, but you may not be able to talk about it. <laughs> uh, no, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I've driven quite a few of them now, actually, I think. There's an Aston? There is an Aston, yeah. Definitely haven't driven that. That, I, of all of the ones, the Ferrari, to me, seems like the one I would go for. If, I'm not going buying any of these cars, mm. but like, it ticks more of the boxes. The only thing I didn't like about it is that the dash looks a bit like 10 years old. The interior a little bit. It's got cool seats. Yeah, seats are cool. Yeah, I know what you mean. It kind of it kind of just felt copied and pasted from another car a little bit. But um, I guess you know, I don't know. You coming up with a whole new bespoke dash. Everything is yeah. But then again, it, with, with it being such a special, you know, limited run, and they probably should have done because um, I do know what you mean. If you kind of like close your eyes off from everything else, the interior is just like it's a bit odd. I, th- I think. I th- I can't, I'd need to go back and look at the video of what I'm looking at, but I don't remember being any different to just having like a 488 interior yeah. right in front of you. Which is, is funny because it looks like quite, it's an amazing looking car from outside. Yeah, so like, striking. Amazing. Anyway, the, the, the interesting bunch of cars. I've been following Power Slide Lover, hooning oh, his yeah. around just everywhere on that. the snow, everything. He's just like, fair play. Getting loads of hate from other Ferrari owners being like, really? what are you doing to this car? Oh, that's, that's like, how it should be. Get a life. Yeah. This guy is- the thing is, is I, I'm not one side of the fence or the other. I'm not, oh, you have to use your car. I'm all for, if you've got the money and you love your car and you want to collect it and you just want it sat there, then I'm also actually fine with that. I'm not one of those people who's like super against that, but I am against those people being like, don't use your car. Yeah. Like each to their own, you know, like it's so nice to see one in a museum that's going to be beautiful and kept for the next hundred years and never has a mile on it. That's also cool to it's see. It's a little bit of a shame, but... Bit of a shame, but as long as there's so, as long as there's always a power slide lover, yeah. then I don't mind if there's always a museum guy. I don't mind both. And I think that changed for me when I went to Iowa one year and I met this guy weirdest story ever he earned like the patent to corn fertilizer okay and i thought this is going to be the most boring dinner in my life and then i went to this dinner and he was like oh i've got this car collection and he owns every chevrolet ever built in history wow from car one every single one and i'm talking like every version of every single one like every like That's such coup, an not, unusual collection and all of them with like almost zero miles on yeah. in this huge insane barn that i went to see and it was beautiful it was unbelievable very very strange Weird kind of model routes to go down to collect. But yeah. Anyway, so that was really, really cool. And that that is cool. When, when you go in and someone's done something like that and they're all pristine, you get to see what they're like new. Yeah, Whereas exactly. if you go and see someone that's got 50,000 miles on them now and been out in the sun and whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, those, those people that you, you see a video of someone doing a donut in a LaFerrari and they're like, oh my God, you're breaking it. You're like, no, no exactly. this is exactly what it's designed to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas the Toyota Yaris that you'd put on the McDonald's trays and you were handbraking around the car park wasn't meant to do that as, well, <laughs> as much fun as it is. Like it's the one, these two cars are both designed to have fun in. 
another one, and I think that's pretty much it for the, for the trawling through your Instagram for a little bit. The there's a bunch of Scandi guys made a very crazy hurricane. Oh, the Zyrus thing, yeah. Yeah. So that is meant to be a 1,200 horsepower. I think it's one, yeah, 1,200 horsepower. So I think the, the roll cage and the actual chassis underneath it is effectively a super trofeo. Okay. That, that, that makes more sense. And yeah. then all the bodywork on top of it is completely custom. So, you know, bigger floors, bigger wings, bigger skirts, better airflow, twin turbo. So it is pretty monstrous and I've only driven it twice so far and it was on road tires and it was crazy. Um, but it, that car needs slicks. Like I think they're designing it as a road car you can drive to the track, but it's definitely. So it's sort of a track day car yeah, toy thing for bonkers I think people. their kind of marketing material is, or their spiel, is that you don't want to trash your performance spider um, yeah. and you don't want to hire a race team for your Lamborghini GT3. So you can have this kind of middle of the price range, but still obviously expensive race car that you can... It doesn't require a team. That doesn't require a team. Well, that's the plan eventually that doesn't require the team. I think this is just one of one at the moment. So it's the only only one in the world at the moment. And then eventually it gets to a point where, yeah, it just doesn't need a team. You just stick the fuel in, carry on. Once I'd driven a race car, like any race car, I sort of went road cars on track are pointless. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And, And as time goes on, more that i think if i gave less shits about road cars and if i had tons and tons of money yeah then maybe yeah you'd be like okay i put it in the gravel whatever yeah because it is impressive what like gt3 rs's and stuff can do yeah. now. like it is really really impressive how close they are to race cars but still like you said you've got to be willing to push it to a, a stupid level to get the enjoyment of what you can get at like 20 yeah. percent in a radical yeah, you exactly. exactly. Yeah. You've got to be coming back in the garage and be like, sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Not, oh, it needs to go to the paint shop. You can just like tape it up and carry on. Yeah, exactly. And every now and then I'll have a friend who's like, oh, I'm going to buy a, a GT3 RS as a track day car and I'm going to use it a lot on the track. I just don't. Like, yes, they're amazing cars. Yes, you can drive the track, drive around the track, but just get something you don't give a shit about and drive that around the track. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, com- I completely get it, and and I think it's really good when people have they have these RS threes, SR threes, sorry, and, and stuff that they can they can use on on the on the track, you know, for their big bit of fun. I guess if you're super super wealthy and you don't really care that much, and you've got like a GT three RS that you want to like take on these these kind of supercar tours and you want to not necessarily be quick on the road with them but be safe and know your limits then if yeah. you drive that same car on track then you've got that comfortability that's not a word you've got that kind <laughs> of uh, that safeness inside you of knowing where the limit is of that car so i get that part of it and in fact that's something i kind of want to do in the future i mean i've always had this idea and i don't know how much you can patent over podcasts but we'll try and do that i've had this idea for years where claim it now yeah exactly all these all these footballers are like uh, turning like 19 or 20 and all of a sudden they're on 400 grand a week and they're going to go and buy a crazy car the club don't want them hurt. Their insurance don't want them crashing their cars, and they really don't actually want them crashing their cars. Yeah, is, is they should be, they should be as well as their license. And this goes for for anyone. If you're a super wealthy royal and you've turned seventeen, and your dad buys you a Senna or whatever, or you've sold your company and you're fifty. Yeah, exactly. You sh- you should 
have a second license for super, for supercars. Maybe if it's not a legality for the road, maybe it's something that gets your insurance premium down or the yeah. football club sends all of their guys on this on a track day where they get taught how to... And then they get... They also, they get it out of their system. You know, yeah. you get out your system, you get to learn how to drive the car properly, know where the limits are, and also, you know, kind of scare them a bit and be like, this is what you're going to do if you pull away from the lights with TC off with the exhaust button on loud to show off. You're going to end up in a hedge and you've got your family back yeah. at home type thing. You know, I, I want to be able to do that for, for those guys. I think that'd be really, really I interesting. I think it's, it would be, it's such an important thing. Like I, in my sort of car buying experience, went from zero to now or whatever, but like I consciously i was really scared of getting in a rear-wheel drive car with any power whatsoever because i thought i was just going to end up in a hedge which is quite i think that was a really good mentality to have and then because of that i think my first rear-wheel drive car was a boxster it's like 300 horsepower and then after that was my g3 rs 450 a bit more interesting but like slowly worked up i didn't get into a mid-engine 500 horsepower car and then turned everything off yeah in london like and just boot it exactly. out of a corner. I think if you have some of the supercar hire or like ownership bleh, schemes where you know where you pay ten grand a year and you can drive ten cars or whatever, those you have to do some sort of test. You do, correct, yeah. And that's great. And I think it's a really, really good idea. For both parties as well. And also it's a fun day out for the person who It's wicked fun. Yeah, who's hiring those cars. Like you said, it's, it's, it's getting out of getting out of your system. Like I think most people buy these cars and then they they really want to use them. They, you know, you've bought this amazing present to yourself. Um, you know, whatever way that's come, it might be at the end of a long career in business, and you've bought this toy, but you've you've never you haven't built up that experience over time. If you go to a track, you can go all over the limits, scare yourself, and do all of the stuff, and then you get back on a road and you're just way more chilled. Yeah, exactly. Are you, are you a pretty chilled road driver? I'm super boring on the road, and and that's the thing that kind of surprises surprises everyone, especially especially my other half. And she and she's like, "Well, you drive so boringly on the road." Like, <laughs> the, 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 actually, the, on a slightly separate issue, the thing that annoys me the most is whenever someone's in my car and I'm parking. And don't get me wrong, like I pride myself on being a really good parker. Mm. But I'll park and I'll do like an insane good job of parking. The yeah. rim's super close to the curb. Got it in in one swoop. And then, uh, you know, I'm waiting for the round of applause. And everyone's like, <laughs> well, of course you parked it well. You're a racing driver. And that just annoys me so much. I'm like, <laughs> we don't parallel park in Le Mans 24 hours. So I'm just as qualified as you are in this car to park. So I still should be getting like a round of applause. For yeah, you want that little like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well done. There was someone behind and you just went straight in. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it should be done. 100% people should... There should be like a motorbike. Yes, There's certain exactly. performance levels where... Or an age-based or whatever. You, you've got to have driven for a certain number of years before you can get into the stupid thing and the number of people you must find this must be so you'll get in the passenger seat of the car i'm super wary and i don't have to do it so i try and avoid doing it and they will be driving quite fast and you can see the traction control light or even worse moncast where it doesn't come on but it's still on yeah yeah and they are foot flat the entire time and the car's trying not to kill itself and they're like oh yeah that was great like, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah oh no i've had that a lot and i'm kind of uh, in a in a lucky position now that i'll only get in the car with either repeat people that i that i know drive sensibly or like hugely recommended from someone yeah. i'm already coaching a lot of people still uh, i say still a lot of people now at this level or at this age don't get in the car anymore 
they say yeah. that's it i'll i'll engineer or i'll kind of bring a young kid up through the ladders but i'm not driving coaching from the passenger seat but i still i still get a great buzz off it and if it's someone who's safe and it's not to do with speed like you can be super super quick you know what it's like but if someone knows what they're doing you're much more comfortable someone can be like half as quick in a lap time but if they're being a bit crazy on the wheel you know that this person's going to be more likely to spin yeah. off and have a dangerous issue and i also pick my tracks very well as well so silverson's pretty much my stomping ground mm. even though it's not far it's quite far from me because it's super safe with lots of runoff and you'd have to do something really wrong to crash a road car there yeah and and, and keep getting it wrong yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Yeah, no thanks being in the passenger seat. I've, I I did it a lot as a as a photographer. Yeah, and on road trips and stuff, and you just jump in a car with someone, and you realise like you must get this exactly like you get in a car and within like three seconds, you know, you're like oh, and God. they want to show off to you because you're getting pictures of them yeah, and they've got they've got someone they like, like in the car. Oh, this is a racing driver. I'm going to show him. To show him how, how great I am. I always thought, like, it should be the complete opposite. It should, it should be, be like, if I've got in the car, they should be like, oh, well, I'm not going to be able to impress him, so maybe I'll just drive sensibly. Like, <laughs> he's going to have to do something, like, really seriously good to impress. And if he does get to that point, I'll probably want to get out of the car anyway. Yeah. And the worst, the worst, you get so many road drivers who think they are amazing drivers. And like you said, my, my, my experience of people that really are legit because they're pretty chilled on the road. Yeah, exactly. they, they just don't like, they don't care. But getting with, with them on track, there's a different story. Exactly. But the guy that's trying to drift out of every single corner out of Tesco's, like, mate, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right, I'm, I'm slightly aware that we no, no, no. are running a no, little bit out of time, but I, I normally finish or sort of round up, and this, this could take another hour, and you never know, um, with five questions for my guest. And... So here we go. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? And as a racing driver, you could possibly add in a race, but I'd, I'd rather keep it as a road. Okay, most memorable. This, this one's quite hard because weirdly, um, like when I was introducing myself, trying to find like a job title, one of the things I do is, I, is I'm a lead driver for, for supercar tours around mm. the world. And that, that's to help their insurance, but also, you know, have a personality on the trip and, uh, and also help their insurance it does yeah yeah because you control the pace uh, and you you know the road you know what's coming on coming cars etc etc uh, and weirdly that became a bit of a niche and so i do it for kind of super, supercar clubs all mm. over the world so it makes it a really hard question because I've, I've been lucky to do so many amazing trips one of them that really stood out was was uh one an elite tour, i think it was called elite supercar elite tours and that was like a drive from kind of the northeast of spain all the way down to monaco they'd done like five reckeys the year before mm. every single road had been picked out for its width its ability to see through the corner like everything nice. everything you want from a supercar tour times 10 with a car way in front to stop the traffic way behind to keep it Amazing. separate and it was just and there was only nine people so it was nine cars super private 18 people nine cars and it was amazing it was like every road was to ourselves the whole time and it was just perfect weather every day. You could almost see the sea the whole trip. And it ended up in Monaco. And then from there, they then drove a lap round the track. And like they do in Monza, they're the only supercar club in the world who have been allowed to go. They go into the briefing room where the F1 guys get hmm. their 
um, briefing from from rest in peace Charlie Whiting, and they go with Bert, uh, behind Bert in the safety car and drive the actual track on the Saturday that the Formula One cars have been on. And then they watch the Grand Prix the next day. So it's like an insane rally. This sounds like a pretty legit yeah, club. <laughs> it was really, really. And it was one I'd never even heard about because there's all these ones that, that you and myself yeah. get to go on. I'm very lucky to work with. I'd never even heard of this one. And these were like, oh, no, no, we're very kind of under the radar. And I'm like, well, this is pretty epic. <laughs> and I've been on quite a few. But but there's loads of other ones. I mean, and I've got such good friends from like Supercar Clubs Arabia, Ninth Degree Car Club, Supercar Drive in the UK, do some really fun ones as well so yeah it's, it's really hard to pick one but that one stood out in terms of the roads that we yeah. went on awesome awesome next next question five car garage unlimited oh, value at least he didn't say one because um, <laughs> that's really hard five car garage unlimited value it has to fit into your life it has to fit into mine. I really should think about this because people ask me the kind of what cars would you have all the time and I never have the right answer so I would I would still have Eleanor I would keep the Shelby Mustang mm, GT500 so that'd be one f12 tdf's always been like a favorite of mine so that would probably be number two i'm gonna get crucified for not putting enough classic cars in aren't i but i don't think i'd have another classic car than what would be your daily mooch around um oh it used to be an rs6 Mm -hmm. i'm not thinking i don't think i'm a massive fan of the new one Right. I'm probably against a lot of people here, but I don't think it actually looks that... It, I R6, think it looks pretty cool. I saw it the other day. I've but not seen it in person. So oh, it I looks to, cool in person. Right, okay. I need to reserve my judgment. In person, maybe in a dark colour, it might be nice. But I've always been an RS4 or RS6 person yeah. as like as kind of like a daily, so something like that. So I, I, th- I don't think a 4x4 is going to be in this, at, in this at all. Then again, I did drive, and I divulge, I did drive a Eurus when it first came out on a wet track, uh, on like a gold track day, and was absolutely... I've never been a huge Lamborghini fan. And uh, there was I was just looking at it thinking, this is like a pointless car. What yeah. is the point of this thing? It was unbelievable on track. <laughs> like I'm talking Catrums on wet. We were overtaking them <laughs> on road tires in a Euros. Granted, it lasted two laps before the brakes were yeah. shot. But with the four-wheel drive system in the wet, you just turn full power, squirt, and it just fits <laughs> It was unreal. So either an RS 60 style or maybe Eurus like a four by four slot in there for, for, for number three. I've always loved the 918 Porsche. Mm. And again, I'm going to get slated for not saying a CGT or something more classic instead, but 918 I've always loves us. Yeah. Like a crazy 918 style. I think I'd pick that over the LaFerrari Aperta or I visually actually, and to drive around a, a, a lap time, the P one is amazing. Yeah. But I think the 918, so that... You can take the roof off. Yeah. That's, that's that car forward. Does that only leave me with one already? Yeah. Would you have a race car? Oh, I get a race car. You could have a race car. Okay, well then, yeah, the fifth has definitely got to be a race car. The what, Samsung's what Formula be? 1 car. Tick. Done. <laughs> <laughs> and the most... You'd go for the latest current F1, uh, not an older one. Shh. Mm, See, this is a toss-up because the the sound is horrible and if we're ignoring the cost of running, blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah, yeah. it is a toss-up because like the one of my favourite Formula 1 cars I ever drove was Kimi Raikkonen's 2011 mm. uh, car. Had all the noise. It started the DRS and I think it still had F-Duck then. I can't remember. And then a Sauber 2013 I drove as well. Really, really nice. I've, st- I've not driven any of the Turbo Era F1 cars yet, as in the new Turbo yeah. Era F1 cars yet. They have 
way more downforce. Yeah. I'd love to marry the downforce of last year's car with the powertrain with the powertrain of the old one so probably i would sacrifice that extra downforce because i kind of i'm lucky kind of i know what it feels like anyway and go for the kind of more like 2012 yeah. style era because it would sound amazing and you know get more of a feel from driving it yeah. so yeah that would be the fifth one definitely now that I, now that i'm allowed race cars in i'll change them all to race cars <laughs> <laughs> i just have like a clear on the side and yeah then four to race get you cars. to the track yeah. and then hone your race cars <laughs> Fair enough. Right. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life oh, and you're allowed like a 500 pound beta to, I don't know, put family in. Okay. So kids one car you don't for the kids, rest so. of my life. Road car for the rest of my life. Yeah. One road car for the rest of my life. Oh. <laughs> Race car would get outdated, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. One, one, I think it might be, a, it might be a Ferrari. Oof. Oof. Might practical be a, might be a ferrari one rate one road car okay and you'd get a trickle charger as well yeah exactly it. <laughs> yeah because it's got to be something to put a smile on my face but i've also done road tours in them and they're, they're actually super comfy um they're actually okay as long as and again i divulge this there's this huge fad at the moment and i know it's to do with resale with comfort seats versus bucket seats ah uh, yes and people think I'm crazy when I get in an amazing car that's got comfort seats, maybe probably because I'm doing like a road rally. So I'm yeah. like, I want to be comfortable and I've got a bad back because I'm an old man. But I get in it and I'm like, oh, this is great. And they're like, how could you want comfort seat? How could you spec comfort okay. seats in this car? The prime example, Lamborghini Performante with the buckets. Oh my or like God. like a hurricane with I, the buckets. Honestly, I'd rather not drive. I would rather, I'd just not get in the car. I'd go in the van. Yeah, yeah 100%. 100%. <laughs> 100%. It's the worst thing ever. Is my help? My, we're both quite tall anyway, so our, our uh, heads all, all already on the roof. The buckets they claim, you know, lowers you down by like point zero zero one of a hair molecule yeah. down. Like great, whatever. But it's just it's it's so painfully horrible. How do people get seats so wrong? Unbelievable, isn't it? Like surely you just go right. 10 people, let's find 10 people, walk outside. Oi, you, 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 come sit in the seat. Yeah. Give me a genuine, what do you think it yeah. looks like? Because no one has ever sat in that seat and gone, this This is great. And they've only just started to do it now, thank God. But I didn't ever understood why in a road car that sometimes is going on track, make a bucket seat that has the back that can adjust separate to the, to the bottom. Okay, now I, I can, I think... Porsche and Ferrari now have that as an option because Porsche for a long time and Ferrari had the buckets, but then the bucket is fixed. Yeah. So that like, I don't know if I'm just the only one with a weird back, but I'm like, like pushed forward and I'm like, then there's a hole in my back and I'm like, I can't adjust this at all. I'm stuck with it. Yeah. So I would never be able to do a road trip with it. And I don't want to drive two and a half hours to Silverstone, drive a coach all day, all day and then drive and then drive two and a half hours back. Yeah. Because when I'm doing a driver coaching day, I'm five hours on the motorway on top of the nine hours on track yeah. during the day as well. So like my back takes a beating. So I'm a huge fan of comfort seats. So this daily that I pick that's a Ferrari, whatever it is, it's got to have comfort seats. But it would probably be like a, I don't know. It's, but I also love the advanced shape. So maybe yeah. maybe still like an F12 E8, yeah. uh, maybe an, H, an H12 GTO with comfort seats yeah. when it comes out. Yeah. If it comes the GTS out. looks very nice. The I roof off. I've seen that. They've, they released it, I don't know, six months ago, three months okay, ago. Okay, sorry, I th not an 812 GT. 812 GTS. Oh. So no roof or roof off. Right, it's okay. A, it's a production car as in you can order, like there's going to make 500 or Got something. It, right, them. okay. Um, that would be cool. That would be cool, yeah. Whereas previously those have only ever been super limited. Yeah. But it will, I mean, it'll look cool, sound amazing, roof off. 
big boot still. Big boot still. Long shape. Yeah, yeah, probably something like that. Yeah, weirdly, my 997, the bucket seats in that, I've got the carbon fixed ones. Yeah. I, if I could spec that again, I would have one, the passenger folding seat. Okay. So you can use the back. But that seat... I find unbelievably comfy. Right, so it suits your back, and that's it, it isn't it? it? It just it depends person to person. Because yeah. I've been in some buckets, like the six hundred LT bucket, perfect for me, absolutely yeah. perfect. And you, that wasn't adjustable at all. But the pads yeah, were in that's the right really place, good. and that really fit my body. So I guess it just depends again on the person's body as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and now there's a lot of larger people, mm-hmm. and we're not large, yeah. so seats are going to be less comfy for us, of course, because yeah. they've got to fit these large humans into yeah. them. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean mclaren now so do a small medium and large bucket which makes sense and they just don't they just take the padding out that's exactly. what they used to do they used to do they used to just have the normal seat and then the touring spec was just less padding. padding yeah that makes sense okay so you'd get a an 812 gts gto or gts yeah depending on what obviously one's not out yet okay what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment what do you think? Oh, that's banging a value. Really, really good question. The most undervalued car. Um, oh, probably 720s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they're like what 150k now. It's something like that. Only going down. Only going down. Unbelievable. That is. That when it came out was the best value for money supercar in the world, and now it's a hundred grand cheaper. It's faster than anything. Faster than the Senna. Yeah, not around a lap, but in a straight line, and very close around a lap. And like uh, good space, comfy, unbelievable yeah. suspension. Yeah, it just okay, needs to body sound panels a little fall bit off better. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's got its issues, but in, for for one hundred and fifty k, I mean, just buy a hundred grand's worth of spare body panels, and you still yeah. got a cheap. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So, I mean, value for, uh, yeah, they, obviously online, there's a, there's a lot of stuff about McLaren, but I, I mean, I drive them all the time. And I mean, that, that being that price, it's kind of weird because then the 600 LT was out. And like, if you spec that up, it's like a hundred grand more than a 720, yeah. but the 720 is way quicker. It doesn't give you the same feeling. The 600 LT and 675 LT give you a, an amazing feeling around the track, but the 720 is a daily supercar. Yeah is time warpingly fast to drive and all the tech it's like yeah. rides like an s-class yeah so it's, that's probably and, and also i was looking the other day and you can get from like if you ship a car from the uae okay yes it's going to be the wrong hand drive but you can get like a, a 12c for crazy money like like six, 50 60k I think you can probably get one in the UK for that. Can you? No, maybe not quite. Maybe yeah. not quite. I think they're like another like 15, 20k 80, cheaper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I've seen them for like high 70s, 80 here. But like 50, 60 with not crazy, crazy mileage. Swipe door, which is the one that yeah. has like in the, the, the limited run before they became buttons. And at 50 grand, let's say if you find one for 50k, <clears throat> all the issues at that point were, were, were solved. Okay, the warranty and all that stuff, I guess, is going to be an issue because it's an old car. It can't go down any more than 50k and it's got to one day be worth something. It's, it can't go down, but I would, I, there's no way I'd buy a 12C. Everyone I know that's got 12Cs, the running costs. Oh, is it? I just go up and up and up and up oh, and up. Really? People spend like, whilst they were within warranty, it was like 30 grand a year. Jeez. And then like, as soon as you're without warranty, I, it's like 15 it, at least. Like, Every year, stuff just goes wrong. And they yeah. fixed most of the stuff now by the time we're at the 720. 
You just need to buy one and not use it. Yeah. 50K, if you're looking for an investment, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I see that one day, hopefully, if the brand sorts itself out on some of the issues, that's got to be worth something one day, especially if McLaren win more Formula One yeah. races, which they are going to. It's the, the, the 150 grand 720S is like this weird thing that sits in my back of my mind whenever I look at any car now. Yeah. So any new sports car, I'm like, yeah, but I could get a 150 grand 720S. Exactly. And it almost just means like, I'm never, I'm never going to buy a new car ever again <laughs> yeah. because there's 150 grand 720S. But you're also not going to buy the 720S because <laughs> you're a bit nervous. So it's like, a bit yeah, nervous. Yeah. I'm more of a buyer at the 120 grand F12, okay. which is not there yet. Where is it now? 150. Okay. 155. I didn't even realise they were about there. Yeah, really. they're, they're okay. just, and they're just, all, all these cars are just, they're just coming down. F12 TDF, when the GTO 812 comes out, will that go up in value because of that or go down? I Because the 599 GTO, everything else went up when that came out. That actually did really well back in the day. Yeah, I, I think all of those, I think people have gone, and you know, people can completely disagree with me, but I think people have gone a bit mad with those cars. Yeah. Because it is the 599 GTO, and people may argue that this is a bit different, whatever, but it's a 599 with some mods and stuff yeah, done yeah. to it. A F12 TDF is similar. Yeah. Like, yes, they are different. It's very sort of different when you get in it. Mm. But if an F12 is 150 grand, how the hell is a TDF 800? Like, it's not an Enzo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you look at the other cars, you go, an F40 at the moment's between 800 and a million or something. A TDF is 700. Like, what What yes. are we looking at here? Yeah, like, exactly. historically, and then, like, a CGT is, like, 700. Yeah. Like, or even less, actually. So yeah, so I'd say case. sixes. Yeah, you, yeah. Probably most, and then seven's probably Whereas the, the C- top end. The CGT and the F40 your money is going to be way safer, right, in those two kind of cars. And they're sort of like iconic all-time cars. Yeah. In 10 years' time, we'll look back and it will be the laugh. The laugh is that car of yes. this generation. Yeah. Yes, it's expensive at the moment, but for these sorts of limited edition tweaks on a normal road car, like a, it's a 488 Pista without a roof, yeah. That's not a million pound car. Yeah, exactly. No, I completely agree. And it's a collector's item. So for, for, if you're trading in that kind of currency, then okay, fine. If, it, if, it, if it's a means to an end for you and it makes sense. But if you're buying it because you think it's special for for the mechanical reason, then yeah. I completely agree with you. It's not. It's not. It's just, and, you know, value is to the eye of the beholder, you know, yeah. people paying crazy money. But it's, it, I, f- I find those cars slightly interesting mm. that they're, they're at the moment... Of hold, they're still holding their value because they are quite rare yeah. and people kind of want the kudos and they're quite interesting. Yeah, and I think the reason why like the old school kind of 250 GTO kind of worked in that crazy bracket is because of what it did on track. And it was an actual race car yeah, as well. exactly. So it had it had a big ethos behind it. But if Ferrari don't kind of buck up in the endurance game or or in the kind of on track game, then those... Ca- or Ferrari need to make an 812 race car yes and a LaFerrari hypercar and a LaFerrari hypercar to enter the hypercar that will completely add so much more kudos oh unbelievable and and there's this guy Sean Bull designs online and a few other guys who create 
insane renders of what it could look like mm. and the valkyries are great kind of a great showing of what that's going to be in the hypercar class of how insanely cool that looks the valkyrie is the shit it's unreal <laughs> it's amazing and for all the stories that are going on behind it and and, and the struggles that they well i guess were in now that strolls kind of bucked yeah. up and uh, and thrown a load of money in that is such a cool car and the backing of having it as as a limited run race car AM, amr version the road car version and then it being in hypercar i think has been done so well and i really really hope aston martin um kind of come through with everything and it all and it all works out because that is super super cool and they've car. now they've now got the funding yes so hopefully i yeah. i sort of think aston martin in the last couple of years we've got a bit lost and as for me like i i've loved the brand historically mm-hmm. i think that's such a cool british brand but when I look at, and you currently have an Aston Martin, I I look at the range and go, I don't know why people sort of buy the cars. Yeah. They're quite difficult propositions, I think, for a lot of people. And that yeah. has been reflected in, in sales and stuff. Completely, completely. And I think a lot of it is a bit confusing. For instance, the interior for me is a little bit confusing when you get a Vantage and you can get such good deals on those cars now. And then you go into like a quarter of a million pound, correct me if I'm wrong, pricing wise, Superleggera. Yeah. And the interior is pretty much the same as a Vantage. Yeah. I'd expect more. I'd want more. And the kind of the, the, the very, <clears throat> excuse me, the very top end of what they're doing with the Valkyrie perfect with the racing yeah. with everything and the very bottom end of what they're doing with the vantage with the pricing structure you can get now i actually really like it as a daily huge boot etc etc great but then there's this huge middle ground of kind of a bit of mess they're trying to appeal to a younger audience which makes sense because kind of the younger demographic in the uk and and in the world now is is pretty much where most of the wealth is yeah compared to the people who were buying cars and the kind of that older chic look but you're right they need to be careful not to get lost they can have that peak performance element, but it still needs to be the quintessentially British, cool James Bond car. Yeah, and also, historically, they made they were cutting-edge performance, or they were pushing the envelope on performance, which they are still doing at the top, top, top Valkyrie. But when you compare their on-road sports cars to other on-road, like they, they have nothing that's going to St- match separate. this 150 yeah. grand 720S. Like, yeah. They're not even the same millennium. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree on that, on that point. And they need to, hopefully that trickles down through the range a little bit more. And, I just, I, and maybe this funding will help them yeah. make these special one-offs. I don't know what they, I, I don't know how they turn it around. I really hope they do. Yeah. I love the DBS. I think it's really cool. Yeah. It looks great, but I drove it on the mountain roads and I preferred the Vantage. It's too big. Yeah, too it's big, too heavy. Too heavy. The brakes went, didn't, didn't really enjoy it. It looks super cool, the Superleggera, really smart didn't enjoy it's a proper it. kind of like old man's car yes. that sounds weird yeah. but and it sounds a bit yeah like rubbish, it's, but it's it the is. one that if you have a huge car collection you can still turn up to your huge call center or office and all the staff won't hate you yeah because it's still quite a nice yeah, car whereas you turn up in an a12 yeah exactly you're gonna you're that trouble. guy yeah exactly yeah i hope half they, the hope reason why out. i kind of swapped the 600 lt for the Vantage, which is a very strange decision because I'm boring on the road, because I get to drive a lot of cool cars anyway, the Vantage, I can still turn up to meetings in. I can kind of be a sensible-ish racing driver. Yeah. It's a nice car, but it's not kind of like going to get keyed. Whereas a 600 LT with its big wing doors kind of popping yeah. up and flames Looks a bit halfwitzy. Yeah. <laughs> I might get a little bit of stick if I pull up to kind of, especially sponsorship meetings in that. That's always a funny aspect of like, what do you turn up? If you have access to cars... Like, what do you take to things? Because people judge you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 99% of the time I take my Audi and it's dirty. Yeah. 
and I take it and just park it outside. And that's and it. It's got all my stuff in the boot and everything. Yeah, perfect. If you need people to give you money, don't turn up looking like you've got lots of money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you've got a good deal on the car, paying monthly on it. Anyway, yeah. just turn up in the car you own. <laughs> right. Final question. What is the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you sort of Googling? Could be a race car, road car, anything. I'm, I, I, it's kind of a shame we've already just started speaking about it, but it is. It was, for a long time, it's been the Valkyrie. Yeah. And I was speaking to Darren, um, who's doing the test driving for it, uh, a while ago. On, on he drove it on the track, and he's uh, has been driving it on the track a lot. And he says it really, really is super cool. I mean, they're claiming it's like last year's F1 pace. I don't think it's anywhere near that. Like nowhere near. Don't get me wrong. I think it's going to be amazing, and it's going to blow everything out the water. Because currently. I don't think there's anything that can go quicker than a center around like a long proper F1 style track road car wise. Yeah. And presumably this is going to be significantly faster yeah. than that. And, 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 and I completely agree it will be like seconds and seconds and seconds quicker. But the whole claim that came out in the press and I can't remember if it was, like it was Newey who said it or was, it was going to be like that they said it's going to be it's going to be last year's F1 pace and it's going to be quicker than an LMP2. And yeah, I saw that video recently as well and there's just no way Absolutely, and 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 I mean I know those guys who, who who were saying that. So I think kind of the the slight marketing spiel was let's not kind of say that what we mean is the old LMP2 car because mm. I can maybe see a Valkyrie on slicks in its full AMR kit going flat out being quicker than the old LMP2 car. I can yeah. see that because the new LMP2 car is eleven seconds quicker around Le Mans. Yeah. So six round Silverstone or seven round yeah. Silverstone. How heavy is it going to be? The, the Valkyrie. Valkyrie. It's a ton, sure. isn't it? I think it's, it's less than that, isn't it? It's it's roughly. Right. I think it's roughly a ton and it's roughly a thousand horsepower or something. Right, one to one. How much does an LMP2 car weigh? About 790 kilograms, but they have to go up. I think they have to go up to about uh, 900 for the weight limit. So I think they put weight in it plus okay. driver. So with driver, And horsepower, maybe. 600? Yeah. Yeah. So quite a lot more power. Yeah, quite a lot more power, but the slicks but, and the downforce in the LMP2... Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. So there's there's just no way it's going to be quicker than a current LMP2 car. Yeah. There's no way. Um, Definitely not. The, the, the bit I've heard, heard the number I've heard was sort of like LMP2 car pace and it was like on road tires. Yeah, the, yeah even okay. less way. Like not even on slicks, <laughs> they'd be able to do it. And and, and, I'll, and I'll stand here and say that now and, and kind of shoot me down when, it, when it happens. I hope it is that fast. I hope it is. That would be amazing and then um, to see one just drive past you on the street exactly yeah they'd be literally be like because because this year's lmp2 car is quicker than an audi lmp1 car yeah it's like having an audi lmp1 car on the road so amazing if it does i think it's going to be incredibly quick maybe even you know almost 10 seconds quicker than a center maybe around a really long track um and maybe quicker than an old lmp2 car which is an amazing feat but you know careful what you kind of promise because they've gone and said that now and that's going to be i mean i'm excited because they've said how many owners are there going to be any owners that would be able to get within like five seconds oh that's a good point i mean yeah well yeah like even 10 because if it is 10 even 10 because if it is a current lmp2 car on slick's pace then if you're getting within five seconds of it, like, you know, get your racing license, son, like get an LMP3 <laughs> car, you know what I mean? Like you're ready to go. What if, if you said a, uh, this is so variable, but like the difference, I was talking to someone about this the other day, the difference in lap times of me and a couple of people were discussing, if, if we got into X car, how quick could we, close could we get to a pro of different people? Yeah. And the faster and more aero the car 
the bigger the gap to the For pro. Sure. If you said a fast track driver got in a GT3 RS, yeah, what do you think the de- let's say gap to a pro? Obviously, hugely varies. Probably not that. Yeah, hugely varies, but probably not that much. Like, like couple of seconds. Couple of seconds with a really good kind of track guy, and I've yeah. had that before. Like, I've set laps for people, and I've got friends like Cavi and stuff like that who are, who are really really quick in their road cars, and yeah. they know them inside out. I think the difference there becomes is the pro will jump in a car that he's never drived before in his life on a track he's never seen on this guy who goes weekly to Silverstone in his yeah. Manthai GT2 RS or whatever he's got. And he'll go and center lap in three laps. And that'll still be the lap that that yeah. guy will never be able to beat, but he might get close. That'll be the difference. And then, yeah, like you say, it just builds up the more downforce. Yeah, so got. say you then got into a GT3 car. Yeah, probably then it would be closer to kind of like five, six, seven yeah. seconds because you've got to maximise the brakes and stuff. And then if you got into an LMP1 car, you'd be like 10 seconds plus because yeah. because you just would be so nervous of where the limit is. And also so many other factors would come in of, of they've just never seen that limit of what's possible. So I'm going to have to brake here because there's no way it can be 100 metres yeah. later. So then then the gap becomes, yeah, huge. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I, I, I always find it funny. You get in a car and you think you're pushing it. You might even be sliding it a little bit. You're like sort of all over the a limit. And then someone goes like seven seconds a lap fast. You're like, what the? <laughs> like, how is that physically <laughs> how possible? How is that possible? And do you know what? I've, I, like, even as a pro driver, we have that all the time. And especially on street tracks, because they, they progress so much with cleaning up. Like the Macau yeah. Formula 3 race is a really famous one for that. From like FP1 to race, the kind of lap times are like 10 seconds quicker in the same car with the same driver because the track yeah. gets that much quicker. Wow. So you go out in Macau and you're like, oh yeah, P3, great lap. And then you come past and you go four tenths quicker and you come on the radio and you're like, yeah, how was that? You're, like, <laughs> you're now P22. What? <laughs> it's like, you need to go nine seconds quicker. It's like, that's not physically possible. And you do the next lap and you kind of like, you like, oh my God, yeah, it's way quicker now. So you even get shocked as a pro when your teammate goes out and goes quick and you're like, I don't think I can go that much quicker. Yeah. And then you go out and you do it. Night practice at Le Mans, for instance, you do day practice. And if you're second out in night practice, you know what your lap time is you've just done in the day. And then your teammate goes out and you're like, oh my God, it's three seconds quicker. I'm going to have to step up my game. But purely because it's colder, all that time has just come from the straight line. And you don't realize that until you're in the car. Yeah, yeah. Nuts. Nutty. Well, I think that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been good to chat. We've been sort of planning this for a while. Yeah. And trying to squeeze it into your busy schedule. But um, good luck with the, the racing this year. Thank you very I'm much. I'm sure I'll see you somewhere else sure sometime. <laughs> Sweet. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.